you have your Bible, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 6. If you didn't bring a Bible, that maroon book in front of you is a Bible. You can go ahead and open that up, or it should be on the screen behind us. If not, then we'll figure that out for next week, but it should be. Oh, there it is. Uh, that's the cheater version. So if you're cheating this morning, thank you for that. Uh, but we're going to read it right here. It says this in verse 1. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went in. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given you Jericho into your hands, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city. All you men of war, you shall go around the city once. This you shall do six days. Seven priests shall bear the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priest shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, uh, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that you, all the people, shall shout with a great shout. And then the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, every man straight before him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the God that still brings down walls. Lord, today teach us through the passage of Scripture how to hear, to believe, and obey your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Joshua chapter 6, the famous verse of the battle of Jericho. Not so much a battle, more like the walk around Jericho. Now, if you've been part of Pentecostal churches most of your life, I guarantee you that you have done a Jericho march once or twice in your life. Pastor Steve, how many Jericho marches have you been a part of? More than 10. Jericho March, for those of you who are not familiar with that, is where you would get all hyped up in the middle of worship, have some flags, some streamers, a tambourine with a skin on it, of course, because a tambourine without a skin on it was for the Baptists, not for the Pentecostals. <laughs> you would march around in Congo line fashion all the way around the sanctuary, and you would just Jericho March that bad boy all the way until you were just tired and hungry, and usually at the end you'd have a potluck. Because there's nothing that gets up a good appetite like a worship service. Am I right? So the first thing we learned in Bible college was how to throw a potluck. And the second thing we learned was how to do a Jericho march. So we're not going to do one of those today. I don't want to say that boldly because we might do one of those today. But I don't have a plan to do one of those today. Partly because I do not see a tambourine with a skin on it. I see a tambourine but it does not have a skin on it. So we will remedy that for next week. Okay? I'm sorry. It's in the prayer center? Okay, that's where the real Pentecostals hang out is the prayer center then. Okay, watch out. We are in this series called Take the Land because we believe two things. We believe God has given us a land as a church, and we believe that God has given you a land as a people. And we don't want to be busy about talking about taking the land, but we want to be busy about actually taking the land. And Jericho, uh, this battle right here, is one of the first battles where the nation of Israel sees an adversity adversary in front of them and so there's some really good formula right here to learn how to deal with the adversary that's standing in front of us so I've just titled this series today HBO HBO hear believe obey HBO I believe that if Christians actually did HBO if we hear we believe and we obey the direction of the Lord things would go a lot easier for us even the most difficult of times would actually come with a little bit of ease because faith would go before us. And you see this in the children of Israel on this one particular day, that they heard, they believed, and they obeyed, and an amazing thing happened. 
Now Jericho, it says, was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. Jericho. Did you know that even today Jericho is one of the oldest cities in the world? That Jericho has been in existence for a, a lot longer than I have. And that Jericho, uh, the reason why it lasted so long is because it was a fortified city. They say it wasn't a very big city, but it was a very strong city. My little brother wasn't very big growing up. He didn't hit his growth spurt till later in life, and he only grew to about five, six and a half. Now, we would tell him, because he struggled with this complex every once in a while, that dynamite comes in small packages. Now, as the older brother, I really didn't believe that much. But I felt like to encourage my younger brother, I had to tell him that. But the nation or the city of Jericho really, really lived that way. The dynamite comes in small packages. It was a small city. It wasn't that big. It didn't take a lot of land up. But it was a strong city. It was fortified. It was so fortified that it lasted the siege of many, many people before the nation of Israel. So Jericho, when they see the nation of Israel, the children of Israel, cross over the Jordan River, it says, and you re we read this in, in chapter 5 a couple of weeks ago, that the hearts of the kings of the land sank within themselves because of what they heard that God did for his people. And so what does Jericho do? Jericho does what it's supposed to do. Whenever it feels like it's under attack, they shut themselves in to the city. What does that mean? It means that. They just shut themselves into the city. And they lock the doors and they close the windows and they make sure that nothing can come in and nothing can go out. Now they usually have a water source that goes somewhere into the city so that they can still get water and they can still live and behave the same way. But they're just not going to go out and harvest their land. So they shut themselves in the city and they think to themselves, they're like, hey, self, we're pretty good at this. We've got ourselves locked in here, and I know that they could cross a little bitty river in the middle of uh, harvest season, but they're never going to be able to take down our city. No way. Our city's too strong. It's too fortified. It's too big. So we're just going to shut ourselves in it. Things are going to go well for us. And this is what the people of uh, Jericho, uh, the nation uh, the, the, in the land of Canaan, they did. They just shut themselves up in the city. It's kind of like Deborah and I, when we were younger and we'd have a, an argument, she would shut herself up in the bathroom. Those walls weren't coming down. I could march around them seven times. It didn't matter. They weren't falling. Jericho had this kind of men mentality. And it had worked for them uh, a lot of times before. It was a fortified city, meaning that it had a stronghold in that area. Now a stronghold, we think of a stronghold in the terms of a spiritual sense, but in terms of a military sense, this was a stronghold. It meant that it controlled the trade and the military advances for that entire area Jericho did. So when it shut itself up, it was telling the nation of Israel, not only can you not come to us, but you can't even come through us to get to the rest of the land. That's what the stronghold was set up for. Some of us are looking at the land that God has given us and we see a big fortified city that really the enemy has had a stronghold in for generations. And we look at it and it appears to be pretty big. So look at this text again. It says, Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went in and none came out. This is Joshua. He's surveying the wall. He's surveying the land. He says, sees this. And he says, nobody's coming in, nobody's coming out. That's a big wall. Some scholars think that there were chariot races on top of this wall 
which would mean that it was a fairly large wall. I don't know about you. I've never been on top of a wall where they had chariot races. In fact, I don't think our modern architecture could last this long. But this was a big old wall. That's what we would say. And it was at this moment that the Lord said to Joshua, See? I've given you the land. I don't know if you see the irony in this, but as I'm reading this, I would be thinking, if I'm Joshua, like, huh? I'm walking up to this land. Oh, look, there's a big wall there. Nobody's coming in, nobody's coming out. Jericho has shut itself up. This is going to be a little bit of a military advantage for Jericho, and we're going to have to figure out how to dig under the wall so that we could pop up on the other side and surprise them. So Joshua, in his military mindset, is sitting there going, okay, here's what I have. I have a bunch of people that have been in the wilderness for 40-something years. They've never seen any kind of battle in their entire life. They've been spoon-fed, quell and manna, every day. They've not had to work for anything. They've been on the Lord's welfare system for a long time. And I got a fortified wall that's been here for generations. This is going to be a problem for us. And it's at that moment in Joshua's thought pattern where God says, look, I've given you the city. Joshua's going, look, no, you haven't. Because if you had given us the city, God, the gate would be open. The gold would be coming out. We'd be able to walk in, tie everybody up and have the city for ourselves. But you gave us the city with the wall around it. In fact, you let it become extra fortified. You didn't just give us the city with the wall around it. You actually had to do a miracle before that so that you gave them time to fortify their city. And then before we even got to look at the city, you had us do something to our men that was quite painful, that left us exposed to let them even fortify it even more. And now you're telling me, see, I've given you the city. Have you ever had a conversation with God like that? It's like, this looks absolutely absurd. And God's like, yeah, that's cool, isn't it? You're like, no, that's not cool. My marriage looks like it's not going to make it through. It looks like that it's falling apart. It looks like that we argue more than we have bliss. It looks like that it's a little bit of work. And God says, look, I blessed your marriage. You're like, look. Tell her. You're telling me because you work on her a little bit too. You're like, my kids are just running wild. They don't love the Lord. They don't serve the Lord. They've been running so far away from the Lord, I don't even think they can spell Jesus anymore. They've abandoned their faith. And God's like, look, today's the day of salvation. You're like, look, I don't got time to look, God. I'm too, too, too busy worrying. This is what God is saying to Joshua in this moment. Joshua's like, okay, that's a big wall. That's a fortified city. And God's like, yeah, I gave it to you. That city's in your hands. And Joshua's like, okay. All right, Lord, thank you for that. See, that's what I read into it. But Joshua didn't do that, did he? Joshua leaned in and heard what God was saying. There was a lot of circumstances surrounding Jericho that could tell a different story than what God was telling. 
There was a lot of environmental issues that looked like Jericho had not yet been given into their hand. There was a lot of things that were going against Joshua. And I already named some of them. Untrained military. Old fortified city. Extra time to make sure they were extra fortified. Training probably going around inside the wall. In fact, there were probably people positioned to throw rocks and, and whatever type of a debris they could find so that the children of Israel couldn't even get close to the wall. There's a lot of natural environmental issues that would make Joshua look at the environment around him and say, oh, I don't think God has quite prepared this land for me yet. But God's response to Joshua was, yeah, look at how hard it's going to be. It's going to be fun, isn't it? And sometimes the work of God and the kingdom of God and taking the land requires a lot more faith than it does logic. See, but in our westernized thought process, if a well-devised plan is not constructed and voted on, it's not a good plan. But in the kingdom of God, sometimes the plan is to hear God first and believe what he said. This is what Joshua did. He heard what God said about the land before he devised his plan. So the first thing we got to do to make sure the land is ready to be taken is to listen to God's leading. First and foremost, not only was the wall fortified and the city ready to go, but then God gives a little bit more instruction that makes me scratch my head. Here's how you're going to take the land, Joshua. Joshua's like, yes. You're going to give me supernatural provision. You're going to take me and advance me in ages to come. I'm going to have cannons and, and fighter jets and I'm going to have bullets. And, and these people aren't even going to know what hit them because I'm going to be militarily advanced. And God's like, no. You're going to march around it. And Joshua's like, hey, okay, okay. This is a really good idea, Lord. Yeah, in fact, don't even take a weapon with you. Just march around it. Put the Ark of the Covenant first and then the priests. Let them march around it. And you're going to do this for six days. One time a day. And on the seventh day, you're going to do it seven times. But you're going to do it six times. Shh, no talking. Yeah. And on the seventh time, blow the ram's horn and have a party. And at that point, boom, the walls are going to fall and you're going to go straight before you. And Joshua's like, hmm. I'm glad I'm not Joshua. Could you imagine him walking back to the commanders of his army, the people that he's been training, and he's like, what am I going to tell them? And the army's sitting there ready. They're like, okay, what's the plan? We've seen God move the water. We've done a lot of cool things. We ate from the land. We got some good stuff. We're full. We're ready to go. We're going mm, to kick some booty and take some names. Let's roll with it. He's like, okay, here's the plan. They're like, yeah, show me the plan. He's like, okay, here's the plan. Everybody get ready. They got their notepads out. They're taking notes. Probably their chisels, you know, because they don't have paper. Ready to chisel it out. He's like, okay, here's the whole game plan. They're like, yes, tell me the game plan. He's like, we're going to march around it. And they're like, okay, that's it. What? We're going to march around it? Yeah, we're going to march around it the first day. Okay, what's day two? We're marching around it again. Okay, what's day three? Get ready for it. We're going to march around it again. 
Could you imagine Joshua at this point trying to tell his commanders of his armies the plan that God has given him to march around the city? And then the commanders of the army, they had to go tell the people. Here's what we're going to do. The people are like, yeah, we're going to march around it. Yeah, we're going to march. Boom. No, no kicking, marching. Oh, yeah, guess what? You can't talk. Okay, I can't talk. You're not going to tell me I can't talk. I guarantee you there was somebody in that crowd because I would have been in this crowd that would have been like, I don't even think Joshua's a real leader. I mean, I'm really questioning whether or not he truly hears from the Lord. I was actually sleeping the other night. I had a dream that we were supposed to go in on the wings of eagles with flamethrowers and take the city out. But Joshua stayed true, didn't he? Because he heard what God had said to him. How do we respond when what God tells us doesn't seem to fit the natural circumstances of life? See, hearing is different when you hear through spiritual eyes. Maybe the land that we're looking at seems insurmountable because we're looking at it with natural eyes. And God's like, look, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. So as far are the heavens above the earth are my thoughts from your thoughts. So if I tell you to be quiet and march, it's going to work. And I'm like, wait a minute, God, you're right. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. And your ways are not my ways. And so when I tell you that that's not going to work, I believe that too. Joshua's telling the commanders of his armies, he's telling his people, this is how we're going to do it. It's going to be good. We're going to walk. We're going to walk around it. And then on the seventh day, we're going to do that six times. So the six days previous, we're just going to get our calves ready to keep on doing that. And then on the seventh time, we're going to take the city. How are we going to take the city? Well, the pastor is going to blow the horn. We're going to shout. And the wall's going to fall down. And they're like, oh, yeah, right. He's like, no, we're doing that. Because we heard from the Lord. And what God speaks is not natural. It's supernatural. And so hearing the Lord turns our ears from the natural to the supernatural so we can truly hear what God is saying. When you have to take the land, you cannot hear what your flesh is saying. You have to hear what your spirit is saying. When you're looking at a marriage that seems like it is dead, you've got to hear what the spirit says, not what your flesh says. When you're looking at finances that seem like there's more month than money, you've got to hear what the spirit says and not what your flesh says. When we're looking at a church and we're thinking that God's given us a region to reach, we can't hear with what our mind says. we got to hear with what the Spirit says. The first part of truly taking the land is to hear what God is saying. That's why Zechariah says, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my Spirit, says the Lord. Did you know that when God wrote that and through the, through the pen of Zechariah that he gave him a picture of two almond trees that were being pressed so that their olive would come and would continually light the wick that is burning bright for the, fan, for the flame to be fanned. And it's saying that I will myself supply the oil to keep the energy so the light will remain lit. That's what Zechariah is talking about. He's saying you're not going to light it by your own might. Not by your own power, but only by the Spirit of God, says the Lord. This is what God is telling us. There's going to be things required of us that look illogical. 
that sound unnatural, that I'm going to say stuff and you're going to go, you are weird. I've been told that a lot. We're going to say, that's a big wall. That's a big city. That's a big stronghold. That'll never happen here. That, that, can't, that can't work in this area. If we say that, then we're just going to fuel the move of God with I can't statements. Joshua didn't do that. As much fun as I'm having with the text, Joshua didn't do that. Joshua heard from the Lord, and in verse 6 he goes and he tells the commanders exactly what God told him. And because they had already seen God move, they had the faith ready to believe what God was going to say, regardless of how foolish it sounded. If God is going to allow us to take the city by marching around it quietly for six days, quietly six times, and on the seventh time, on the seventh day, we're going to blow a horn and the walls are going to fall, and we don't have to lift a shovel? We don't have to take a sword? I'm game for that. Look, if God wants to do something amazing and all it requires is some illogical obedience on my part, sign me up. I'll take it every time. Which is the second key in the taking the land principles is you have to obey. There's a lot of times where my kids hear me. I know they hear me. They swear they don't hear me, but I know they hear me. And their hearing lacks obedience. Come on, parents, have you ever been there? They say, hey, Josiah, Joshua, come here. They're playing their video game. And all of a sudden, dad's voice is a little quieter. I'm like, hey, boys, let's go. Now, I've developed a whistle. I've trained them since they were little that if I whistle, they come running. So I could yell at them, hey, come on, let's go, let's go, clean your room, do this. But if I whistle, they know it's serious. So I get to, they might walk through those doors right now. You've got to be watching out. There are times where I am saying their name, where I am calling them, where I am telling them something, and the obedience is not attached to the hearing. Come on, have you ever been there with the Lord? Come on, you, you can't lie in church. I know we've been there with the Lord. Where God's like, hey, you need to forgive this person, and you're like, but God. They did a lot to hurt me. Look, I'm going to get there. I'm going to forgive them. I promise. I'm going to forgive. It's my New Year's resolution to forgive them in 2020. December 31st, 11.59 p.m., I'm going to forgive them. But until I get to that moment, I'm not going to forgive them. We were in a mission trip to Mexico, and we were with a, a missions organization that ah, was a little less organized than we had hoped. And our youth pastor at the time, let's say I would think I was like 17 years old, and the youth pastor at the time uh, was communicating back and forth with this missions organization that we were with, and we had been roofing a house all day. We finally got to the point where we were trying to get our run straight. My, the one side was really good. It, it ran evenly, but the other side looked like a big smiley face. Just <laughs> sagged a little bit. So we're trying to go over and help them get their runs right. And I don't know if you've ever roofed a house with two youth pastors and f like five high school boys. But it doesn't go well sometimes. So this, this missions organization was putting a lot of pressure on us to get this roof done for their Bible college because they really needed a roof. At which point I looked around and noticed that none of the other houses around had a roof. And so if it sagged a little bit, I didn't care because it looked better than anything else. 
And so we get done with this roof and we're going back. We've got to do a miracle service that night. That's really why we came. The roofing part was just to, you know, go on the trip. But we really came for the miracle services. So we're going back, but we're really hungry. So the, the missions organization calls and says, you don't have time to eat. You don't tell that to five or six high school boys. Look, there is always time to eat in the name of Jesus. The miracle service can wait, but if I don't get a hamburger right now, something's going to happen. And so we were having not a good attitude. You know what I'm talking about when I say hangry? We were more than hangry. We were just mad. And we were already annoyed with these people because they made us build them a house, and we couldn't be with the people because we had to build them a house. So the emotions were really raw. My youth pastor said, okay, guys, enough. You have until we get back to get your heart right so that we can do this miracle service. The van was quiet. We had about a 20-minute drive. I said, wait, we have until we get back? That's about 20 minutes, right? They said, yeah. I go, I can't stand this woman anymore. And we just started going off. Now, will you tell me if that was the right thing to do? I'm telling you, in the moment, it felt so good. Oh, it felt good. Oh, I was feeding my flesh. It felt good to feed my flesh. But I didn't feed my spirit. So was I really ready to step into all God had us for? Because I fed my flesh instead of feeding my spirit. When we hear what God says, but we don't obey immediately, we're just feeding our flesh rather than feeding our spirit. We tell our kids this all the time. Delayed obedience is disobedience. That a delayed obedience, if you delay your obedience to what God has told you to do, it's basically just disobedience until you obey. So it's not enough just to hear what God is saying. You actually have to obey what God is saying. Now I skipped a point. Dadgummit. To get to obeying, you have to believe what God is saying. We're going to go back to belief. Because it's HBO, it's not H-O-B. You got to believe what God is saying. And I'll tell you why obedient, belief comes before obedience. It's because your beliefs will dictate your behaviors. What you believe about something will be what you behave about something. So if you're not obeying what God said, it's because you don't believe what God said. If you're not doing what God has told you, it's because you don't believe God is right in what he told you to do. It's as simple as that. So you have to believe. Now you're marching around this wall, and let's just say Dayspring Church has been called to march around a wall for six days, one time each day, and you're just done after that. And on the seventh day, we're going to march around it six times, and then we're going to blow a horn. Uh, Jim Stencil's going to be there leading the way, blowing the horn. On the seventh time around, boom, we're going to see the walls fall. Now, if you're like me, on day seven, fifth time around, come on, you're going to be surveying that wall, aren't you? I don't see a crack. Mm -mm. I haven't felt one earthquake. I don't see any movement in that wall. Look, I heard it, but do I believe it? I'm walking around these walls. What if they don't fall? Have you ever played the what if game with God? Oh God, I know you told me to do this, but what if it doesn't work? Oh God, I know you said to go here, but what if it doesn't make sense? What if it doesn't happen? What if the wall doesn't fall? What if the ground doesn't shake? What if there's not a crack in the foundation? What is our belief going to do when the timeline of God's word and his action don't line up with what we thought? 
That's a dangerous place to be, isn't it? I think I would have stopped on day six. I'd be like, look, y'all are crazy. That wall is not falling. I don't see any movement. There hasn't been one rock that's fallen off that wall. That wall has been as stable today as it was 100,000 years ago when they built the wall. I heard what God said, but I think that Joshua had eaten some old manna. I don't know if he really heard the Lord or not. So I'm going to pack up and I'm going to head out because I don't think it's going to happen. Come on, can you, can you relate to that? Oh, just stay diligent in prayer is so easy for somebody not hoping for something to say. Oh, God's got it. Keep praying. Come on, God's got that. Keep on praying. Faith is so easy when you're not the one required to have faith, isn't it? That's what I've learned. Like when, when I got faith for somebody else, man, it is high. When I got faith for myself, it is low. I'm like, Lord, if it be your will, please, in the name of Jesus, please, 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 please. But with somebody else, I'm like, and the Bible says, and God will do it. And if God's word says it, God's word will confirm it. You know what I'm saying? Where does belief begin to drift? Is it day four? Day five? Day seven, fifth time around? Where do we start to linger in belief? Look, God said, wall shut up. Look, I've given this city in your hand. God didn't say, I've given the city. He says, it's in your hand. Meaning how you believe and behave will determine if that wall falls or not. I have given the city in your hand. What have I squandered because of my lack of belief in my own hand? What have I decided to walk away from because I stopped believing? That's a dangerous place to be, isn't it? That's why you got to hear, you got to believe, and you have to obey.